98K News. It's one o'clock. I'm Bill Robertson. The top stories, Beijing's liaison office brushes off U.S. sanctions on Hong Kong and mainland officials over the national security law. The U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, says the U.S. will not stand by while the people of Hong Kong suffer. And the Hong Kong Commerce Secretary says the SAR will consider countermeasures over the sanctions. Beijing's liaison office here has brushed off yesterday's decision by the U.S. to impose sanctions on 11 Hong Kong and mainland officials because of the national security law, describing the move as clowning actions by unscrupulous U.S. politicians. Both the chief executive, Carrie Lam, and the liaison office head, Luo Hoining, are on the list. Violet Wong reports. In a statement, the liaison office accused the U.S. of supporting pro-independence activists and rioters by opposing the national security law. It said Hong Kong was purely a domestic matter for China, and China would not be intimidated by the sanctions. In a separate statement, the liaison office head Luo Huining said the fact that he was on the list showed that he had done his duty. He said he had no overseas assets and there was no point in targeting him. He joked that he could send 100 US dollars to US President Donald Trump for him to freeze. Earlier, the US Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, said the US would not stand by while the people of Hong Kong suffer what he called brutal oppression at the hands of the Chinese Communist Party or its enablers. He made the comment in a tweet after the US imposed the sanctions. Tom McAlinden has details. As well as Carrie Lam, the others hit with sanctions include Police Commissioner Chris Tang, his predecessor Stephen Lowe, Justice Secretary Theresa Cheng and Security Secretary John Lee. Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office Director Xiaobao Long and his deputies Zhang Xiaoming and Luo Huining are named, along with the Director of the new Office for Safeguarding National Security, Zheng Yang Shong, Eric Chan, the Secretary General of the Committee for Safeguarding National Security, and Secretary for Constitutional and Mainland Affairs, Eric Jung. The US Treasury Department says Mrs. Lam is directly responsible for implementing Beijing's policies of suppression of freedom and democratic processes, and she and the 10 others are responsible for the degradation of Hong Kong's autonomy. The Secretary for Commerce and Economic Development, Edward Yao, says the SAR government will consider countermeasures following the imposition of sanctions by the US. Speaking after a radio programme, Mr Yao, who is not on the sanctions list, did not give any more detail. He described the sanctions as barbaric, saying it was unreasonable for the US to target individuals and their assets and uncivilised to make public their personal information. Mr Yao said the national security law was strictly a domestic affair. As you have seen, that well, I don't find any sort of valid reason for this blatant interference of Hong Kong affairs by a foreign country. So I, I don't think this is a necessary or a civilized manner to do so. And looking at the wider interest between Hong Kong and US, such an uh, imposition of unreasonable sort of measures would send a very wrong signal to US investment in Hong Kong. And I think ultimately, I think the toll will be back to uh, the US. And of course, it will definitely hurt uh, Hong Kong-US relations. The Hong Kong government accused the U.S. of using the SAR as a pawn in its ploy to create trouble in the China-U.S. relationship out of the self-serving interests of some U.S. politicians. In a statement, a spokesman vehemently criticised the sanctions as blatant and barbaric interference in the internal affairs of China. The Standing Committee of the National People's Congress has begun its four-day meeting in Beijing. The nation's top decision-making body will reportedly discuss the Legislative Council power vacuum in Hong Kong caused by the SAR government's decision last month to postpone September's LegCo election for a year. Robert Kemp has more. 
The government says the decision to postpone this September's vote was taken for public health reasons because of the pandemic. Critics say it had more to do with the possibility of a pan-Democrat victory following their strong showing in the district council elections last year. One possible outcome of the meeting is for the incumbent lawmakers to continue as before, perhaps in a provisional legislature. However, prior to the decision to postpone, returning officers had already prevented four incumbent pan-Democrat lawmakers, Alvin Young, Dennis Kwok, Kwok Kaki and Kenneth Leung, from standing in the now-delayed September vote. Opinion is divided on whether they should be allowed to continue sitting. President Trump says he'll sign executive orders on tax relief on employment and other benefits following the collapse of talks on a new coronavirus rescue package. At a news conference at his golf club in New Jersey, Mr Trump blamed the Democratic leaders of the House and the Senate for the failure to agree further assistance for Americans struggling with restrictions imposed to fight the virus. Tragically, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer continue to insist on radical left-wing policies that have nothing to do with the China virus, nothing to do with it at all. If Democrats continue to hold this critical relief hostage, I will act under my authority as president to get Americans the relief they need. Mr. Trump said he hoped to have the orders ready by the end of next week. Earlier, the top Democrat in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, said he'd offered to meet the administration halfway but had been rejected. It was a disappointing meeting. We reiterated in very strong terms our offer. We come down a trillion from our top number, which is three, four. They go up a trillion from their top number, which was one. And that way we could begin to meet in the middle. Unfortunately, they rejected it. The Eurovision Song Contest is something of an international phenomenon, so much so that even Australia, definitely not in Europe, wanted to be part of it. The United States has also been admiring the annual European spectacular from afar and will now get its very own version, the American Song Contest. BBC's Jonathan Savage has the story. Once a year in the European spring, almost 200 million people turn on their TVs, settle into their sofas and a spectacular evening of entertainment begins. Prelude to Todayum, the Eurovision theme song barely hints at what's to come. High drama, high camp, high heels and of course a couple of dozen spectacular musical performances. Even if you've never seen it, you'll know some of the winners. Yes, Waterloo and ABBA were triumphant for Sweden in 1974 and Celine Dion won representing Switzerland in 1988. The American version, in collaboration with Eurovision's producers, will be state versus state rather than country versus country, but the prospects are mouth-watering. While European entrants often bring a flavour of their own culture, you can imagine country, R&B and Motown all battling for glory. Eurovision is a showcase for the contestants, but big stars know its power. Madonna and Justin Timberlake have both performed as special attractions in recent years. But will a transatlantic translation work? 
Sam Cross is from the 12 Points from America podcast all about Eurovision and she says she thinks there will be one key difference. A lot of people do tune in to Eurovision for a lot of the sort of socio-political intrigue, why country X will vote for country Y and not for country Z. Here in the United States, between states, you don't really get a lot of that feeling. There might be sort of a sibling rivalry between, say, New York and New Jersey, but they're not going to vote for each other or not vote for each other because of that. I don't really think that there's that much of a division. I think it's going to kind of revert back to being really about the music. It's going to be artist versus artist, song versus song. The American Song Contest is planned to take place near Christmas 2021, as if the European version wasn't festive enough. To sports now and football. With a look at this weekend's Champions League action, here's the BBC's Rob Schofield. Europe's Premier Club competition is back, but it looks very different. The Champions League will be completed this month as an isolated one-off knockout tournament in Lisbon. But before that can begin, there are some outstanding second legs of last 16 ties still to be completed behind closed doors. Bayern Munich are expected to get the job done against Chelsea on Saturday, leading 3-0 from the first leg at Stamford Bridge. But Barcelona may have a tougher task, drifting and divided in the boardroom with financial difficulties and the future of Lionel Messi unclear. They host Napoli who've recently won the Coppa Italia. The tie is level at one all from the first leg and although Barca are unbeaten in 35 Champions League matches at the Nou Camp, they look very fragile indeed. Questions are being asked whether Kike Setien is compatible with his players. A run of three draws in four cost them La Liga and with injuries in defence and suspensions in midfield, the team could be short-handed as Gennaro Gattuso's Napoli aim for a first ever quarter-final. The winners of both these matches face each other in the last eight in what is a very one-sided draw. That and the new format could easily see the Champions League throw up a surprise winner in what's been one of the strangest seasons the game has ever seen. And some news just in on the US sanctions. The chief executive, Carrie Lam, said that she and other officials being targeted will not be intimidated by the sanctions as they are discharging an honourable duty to safeguard national security, protecting the life and interests of not only the 7.5 million Hong Kong people, but also the 1.4 billion mainlanders. And that's the news from RTHK. 5, 6, 7 a.m. Radio 3. And welcome to this week's edition of World Vibes with myself, Pierre Tremblay, with you till 3 p.m. This week we have two musical themes on offer. First, our featured new album from 11-member Afrocan band Le Frère Smith. And a lot of new hits from a lot of places on the planet. As always, Giovanotti says it so well in Italian, he is from Rome. We're still the belly button of the world. And we start off with our first hot hit from other places on the planet with uh, Mariana Ramos from Cape Verde. Actually, she was born in Dakar in Senegal, not far from Cape Verde. Grew up in Cape Verde with her grandmother in the Monte Sosego district uh, of the capital. Uh, and uh, she joined her parents in France uh, when she was a teenager. And she got a lot of help from them, specifically her father, Toy Ramos, better known as uh, Toy de Biblia. He's a guitarist with the band Voz de Cabo Verde and has recorded quite a few albums in Paris. She met up with no less than Teofilo Chantre, the composer for Cesaria Evora. 
uh, and uh, he helped her compose and record her first album in the year 2000. She's up to her sixth album after a previous album, her fifth uh, in 2015. And uh, of that, this is the title track, Storia Navida, which I believe means uh, the story of our lives. Mariano Ramos in the Morna tradition with the title track of her new album. Pam contar história minha vida Recordação é que está ficando na pensamento. 